This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. The Southwest Florida Symphony's performance season continues this Saturday, November 4th, with the first concert in this season's Masterwork series. The program features well-known works, all by iconic American composers, including Aaron Copland, George Gershwin, Leonard Bernstein, and John Williams. Guest artists for the symphony will be the incomparable Marcus Roberts Trio, and they're joining the symphony to celebrate the upcoming centennial of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, with a performance including a fresh interpretation of the much-beloved work, largely credited with helping to define the jazz age. Other compositions on Saturday's program include Copland's Fanfare for the Common Man, Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story, and John Williams' Dramatic Star Wars Suite. Again, the performance takes place this Saturday, November 4th at 7.30 p.m. at the Barbara B. Mann Performing Arts Hall in Fort Myers with a pre-concert lecture beginning at 6.30. Joining me now for a concert preview is the Southwest Florida Symphony's maestro and music director, Radu Papanyu. Welcome back, maestro. Thank you so much. It's so good to be back. I've been loving these conversations that we have, and we, we get to talk about the music a little bit, which is, it was always great. Me too. Best part of the week. Uh, we're also joined in studio by the Southwest Florida Symphony's Community Outreach Ambassador, Robert Van Winkle. Thanks for taking the time to be back with us, Robert. Wouldn't miss it, John. Thanks for having us. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media on X, formerly known as Twitter. We're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So, Rado, first tell me about your approach to putting together this program for the first concert in the Masterworks series this season. Why did we want to do a full concert of, of works from American composers of the last century? It's a big Gershwin year, and almost every orchestra around the country is celebrating 100 years since Rhapsody in Blue was written. It was 1924, so this season, 23-24, is the centennial celebration. And I thought we should perform the piece as well, but then I thought it might be good to build a program of great American music around Rhapsody uh, in Blue. And I, I ended up visiting some of my, my favorite American composers. Right. I know making the symphony accessible and bringing in new audiences is an ever-present goal, but is this program a particularly standout example of that effort? I mean, whether people realize it or not, most of us are going to be familiar with some aspect of every piece on this program. Absolutely. It's very important to uh, me, myself, and my, my mission that everyone, everyone should feel welcome at a Southwest Florida Symphony uh, concert. And we are touching on, on a number of different, I would say, genres. But what I love about the program, yes, you're going to hear maybe a little bit of jazz in there with Rhapsody in Blue and maybe even a little bit of improvisation in the middle of the Rhapsody. We can talk a little bit more about that. And yes, we do end with uh, John Williams, which is, that is a film score. But I think that every single piece on the program is a fantastic uh, composition and there's so many connections between between the composers as well that it just worked out as a beautiful program. Yeah, I, I don't mean to get too technical too soon, but aside from oh, why the, not? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> aside from the compositions in the program itself, their their placement in the program I'm curious about because aside from Rhapsody in Blue, the order that you're going to be performing them in uh, sort of follows chronologically when they were written. Was that intentional or? or did that just kind of work out a little? Well, I thought it would be great to start really the masterwork season with a with a fanfare, and 
it's hard to choose something better than Femfer for for the common man, the the Copeland piece. I also I see in in the way I was educated as a as a classical musician, I got to know Copeland, and I always think of Copeland as the kind of father of American classical music. He really defined what we call the American classical sound. It, it, it's a very specific, open harmony. It's a very pure uh, sound. And I think it's influenced pretty much any other American uh, composer that's come after that. And uh, I, I got a chance to also study in college the four episodes from from Rodeo. And I think of it as a wonderful, almost overture-like suite, but it's a suite in, in four movements. It's not very, very uh, long, but I just absolutely uh, love the music. And I love that pairing of the fanfare and going into the, the four Rodeo episodes. Wonderful. Yeah, and you're, you're kind of answering the next question I had because I, I was just wondering if growing up in the U.S. and just knowing these pieces and having loved them for so, I mean, you can't escape them. They've been used in so many television and, and, and film projects, but I'm wondering if they're as familiar outside of the U.S. You know, growing up in Romania, did you have as much exposure to these pieces as, as say, I would have? John, that is such a good question. I was... Believe it or not, while I was driving to the studio today, I was trying to ask myself the question, which of these pieces did I actually know before coming to the United yeah. States? And I, I'm pretty sure I had heard, of course, John Williams. I have, I had heard Bernstein. I had heard Rhapsody uh, in blue. I'm not sure I played any Copeland while I was uh, still studying in, in Romania. But as soon as I started college in the U.S. at uh, age 18, I was immediately introduced to some of his works. Uh, in particular, I think I played very early on Appalachian Appalachian Spring. But I think this music now, even I've been in the United States now for 15 years. And when I go back, I go and conduct in in Romania quite a bit and in in Europe sometimes. And this music, I think pretty much every piece on the program has become externally popular over there as well. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, I wanted to kind of dive into Fanfare for the Common Man, the the Copeland. It's going to be the first piece on the program. This was inspired in part by a 1942 speech given by uh, then-Vice President Henry Wallace. He was proclaiming the dawning of the century of the common man, um, kind of a commissioned response in a way to the U.S. entering World War II. Um, I'm curious about whether or how that historical context might play into one's approach to performing it or just how that knowledge could impact an audience member's experience of the performance. Is it important um, having Oh, I history? think background is, is always uh, important. And I think all it takes is really a couple bars of the piece to just realize how, how powerful uh, the message is. Is and of course uh, the the theory we can know for sure, but I think the title is very much uh, inspired by the term that was coined during the the speech, the century of the of the of the common man. So yes, absolutely. I and that's why I love this conversation because we we get to talk a little bit about the background and what inspired the music, and I think that enhances the listening experience and also. Uh, for myself, the interpretation of, of certain works. Yeah, I, I mean, the first three notes, I mean, I've even seen it, like, mm-hmm. inscribed in stone in memorials. It's so iconic. It's a big statement, <laughs> yes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In my research, I was reading that uh, symphony orchestras in the 1940s were encouraged to open all of their shows with a fanfare of some sort, and the Copeland piece, Fanfare for the Common Man, became a, a standard uh, because of that tradition. You know, they were trying to honor um, freedom and and fight in the fascist regimes that were taking over Europe. And the response was, let's have our orchestras start with a fanfare for the 
for the people, you know, and that's how it got started. Yeah, yeah. I think it actually began um, in, in Great Britain and mm-hmm. then uh, uh, it kind of moved over to the United States. And, and then, as you were saying, conductors started commissioning these pieces. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Well, next up on the program is Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which, as you mentioned, turns 100 in 2024. Uh, at its debut performance, which, you know, it was an instant hit with the audience, it was dubbed an experiment in modern music. <laughs> is it even possible to overstate the significance of this composition? What do you want to tell us about it, Radu? Well, it's very interesting. Actually, both Copeland and Gershwin were born in Brooklyn, New York, and they grew up in, in, in around New York, New York City, and they both talk how they were influenced so much about how diverse and culturally rich the, the, the city was. Now, of course, when you look at their music, they have very distinct and different style, styles, and maybe that's a testament as well to how rich cu- culturally the area was and, and is to, to, to this day. Gershon for sure had a lot of jazz influence in uh, in the music. And uh, one more interesting uh, detail, both Gershwin and Copeland spent some time in Paris, and, and so did Bernstein, of course. But Copeland and Bernstein uh, studied in Paris composition with uh, a very, very, perhaps the most influential comp- composition teacher of the 20th century, and that is Nadia Boulanger. And Gershwin wanted to do the same thing and went uh, and met Nadia, but after Nadia Blanger looked at his scores, she said, I'm not sure there's much I can actually teach you, which he took uh, as a compliment, and it was a compliment, but it turns out she was also afraid she did not want to influence him in any way to lose the style and the jazz influence that he had because she thought it was extraordinarily original. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. I I mean, I think that originality, again, um, as I mentioned, audiences at the premiere performance loved it. Critics, maybe not so much. (laughs) Yeah, at first it was not not received very well at first. Yeah. That's just so hard to believe now. Isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) There's so many, I think, so many examples of of pieces throughout the history of music when the the critics initially had a strong reaction to it and they turned out to be just some of the the most popular and greatest compositions that we have in history, period. All right. So if you get a bad review, (laughs) (laughs) for everybody out there, exactly, yes. Uh, And, of course, what's going to make this performance extra special, you'll be joined by uh, Jason Marsalis, Rodney Jordan, and Marcus Roberts as the Marcus Roberts Trio. Um, Their performance schedule is ambitious, to say the least. I'm curious if... Because, um, you know, he, he teaches at Florida State University. Did you have any kind of ends with getting him on this program? I mean, well, they are uh, Florida locals. Yes. And yes. Marcus Roberts was born in, in, in Jacksonville. And they have done a similar version of what we're about to do uh, pretty much, I mean, all over the, the world. There's a, there's a video from years ago of them doing with the Berlin Philharmonic, a very famous video. They've done it with a major American uh, orchestras. Now... You can say it's the project. It's exactly the same because it will include improvised sections. So in a in a certain in, in a way, almost every performance is a world <laughs> premiere in in that sense. But uh, they were as soon as we contacted them, they were so excited about the idea of doing it uh, here. Here, and I think it's a little bit has to do a little bit with the idea of perhaps bringing it uh, home as well and do it doing it with a with a Florida uh, orchestra. Yeah, I, I just want to reemphasize a, a point you just said. I mean, what folks who come out to Saturday's concert are going to hear, 
it's never been performed before. The cadenza is going to be completely improvised. It'll never be performed that way again. This is a truly unique experience. And as I understand it, Roberts has been doing it this way. I think the first time was in 1995. And just like the original Gershwin, the critics didn't like it. So that's uh, interesting. I, I think a great testament to how good it's going to actually be then. Yeah, and it's, it's also by the last few days looking so closely at the score, I can tell you it, it works so incredibly well with the improvised interludes and, and the connections going back into the orchestra sections. It's, it's just absolutely, it, it's seamless and it's, it's a beautiful experience. And it, it's one of, the, sometimes combining musical genres works uh, so well. It, it really, I always go back to this idea that uh, people can communicate through music perhaps better than through any other medium, even words. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're just joining the show, we're getting a preview of the Southwest Florida Symphony's upcoming Masterworks concert this Saturday and a conversation with maestro Rado Papano and community outreach ambassador Robert Van Winkle. Again, if you'd like to comment on our conversation or engage with fellow listeners, we're on Facebook at WGCU Public Media and on X, we're at WGCU. Again, use the hashtag GCL. So after intermission, we're going to be diving into symphonic dances from West Side Story by Leonard Bernstein. Now, before we get into the work, we've got to talk about this uh, connection we've already alluded to, the relationship between Bernstein and, and the elder Aaron Copeland. They really had a very intimate, beautiful friendship. And I was I was flying back to Florida this, this morning, and on the plane, I, I reread a, a number of their letters. That's something that I recommend to all, all the listeners about 19 years uh, ago. Finally, a lot of the Bernstein letters were, were published. If you, if you get a chance to get a copy of the, the book, it's absolutely fascinating read. They really appreciated each other so much. And Bernstein, and I quote, he called Copeland the only composition teacher I ever had. And speaking of American composers, he also said he's the best with with gut. But the, the mutual respect is, is so obvious from a, any line you read be, between in, in, in the letters. At all times, they have incredible admiration for, for each other and for their work. Yeah, and, and they, they passed just two months apart. Yeah, despite being, you know, 18 years apart from birth. Yeah, interesting. Um, the Symphonic Dances from West Side, West Side Story, this is a particularly fun piece to perform for members of the percussion section, I would imagine. I, mean, I would you, say the whole program is extraordinarily yes. fun for the percussion section and for the brass as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this is stuff they don't always get to do in a typical symphony performance. Conga drums, guiro, maracas, even a police whistle. <laughs> yeah, and we've we've even had to we've had discussions with production regarding how is how are we going to play, place the shell just to make sure that there's enough room for everybody on stage. So it's really a big big program and exciting. Can mm-hmm. I give Radu a heads up that people are going to want to start? Snapping when you hear that jets and sharks oh, yeah. motif start to come out, so he's he's been warned that somebody might start that, <laughs> which one might be me. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the final composition of the program is, of course, John Williams' Star Wars Suite. Um, we get the main theme of the classic film, but then also Leia's theme, Yoda's theme, uh, of, of course, the Imperial March. Mm-hmm. Um, this is widely beloved music. The film soundtrack remains the best-selling non-pop record of all time. Williams won an Oscar for Best Original Score. So it seems like an easy decision to make. But then when you look at 
all the other film scores John Williams is responsible for. You know, Jaws, E.T., Star Wars. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. Jurassic Park, Superman. I mean, the list goes Home Alone, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List. Was it a tough choice? Goodness. <laughs> I mean, Let's play them all. <laughs> it's always, with, with John Williams, it's always a tough choice because there is so much good music. If I would, I would like to say just a, a few words about him. I have been so... Uh, amazed. I have a lot of colleagues that grew up in the United States and a lot of instrumentalists who, when they're interviewed, they mention hearing that music on, on the films and hearing the brass and that's what inspired me to play the trumpet or the trombone. And I think the music is so embedded in, in the culture and so influential and he's been so inspirational for so many young uh, musicians that I, I I think that's one of the main reasons why I think it fits so incredibly uh, well in this program. I also looking in terms of composition, what I love about contemporary composers and and film composers, what I like to also see when I look at the score, he really has an amazing way of paying tribute to the past, to the past of classical music. You you know that he has studied Mozart, Beethoven, Schumann, and it goes into, for sure, Tchaikovsky, Shostakovich, Mahler, and he is able to take elements from this music, like any other great composer takes elements from the past and then brings something completely new and inventive to the game. So it's this incredible combination of paying tribute to the past and making it extraordinarily fresh. And he does seem to have an endless sort of uh, well of inspiration because, yeah, the number of scores is just unbelievable. There's an interview with him that I watched recently as well where they're asking him, well, you have 53 uh, Academy Award nominations. There's actually only one other person with more. That's Walt Disney with wow. fifty with 59. Uh, and they're asking, did you ever plan for it? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. How could anybody? This just one day leads to the next, and and somehow that happened, and it's uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful description. You know, when people say to me, I, I don't particularly care for classical music, I say, oh, but you do. And well, what do you mean? Well, listen to Star Wars. Do you like Star Wars? Did you like that movie? Do you like the way it starts? And they will universally say, oh my God, I love it. Well, you love classical music. That's the perfect example. Yeah. I think a great way to prove that, too, someone has put something on YouTube that I would say borderlines blasphemy. <laughs> and uh, it's just like the first five Not on YouTube. Are you yeah. kidding? <laughs> well, it's like the first five or six minutes of the first Star Wars film without any of the music in it. Oh. It doesn't work at all. No. It doesn't. <laughs> right. Just don't go looking for it. Just believe me. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. If I could say one more thing, this is a very special Bernstein week for us as well. Yes. And I would like to say from a conductor's perspective, Bernstein really is every conductor's conductor. And he has been so extraordinarily influential to the history of classical music, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And when you look at what he has done, he's truly a concert pianist, composer, conductor, music educator, great TV personality. I, he, he's been extremely inspirational to me and I know to every other uh, young uh, conductor in this country. If you, if you got to, to watch young uh, persons' uh, concerts, 
he had some incredible lecture and unanswered questions at, at Harvard, and they're all available online. But not only are we performing the symphonic dances on Saturday night, but his daughter, Jamie Bernstein, is giving a presentation. The South Florida Symphony is co-presenting this with Temple uh, Bethel in Fort Myers. It, it is called Citizen Artist. It's a one-hour uh, one talk, and it really talks about the legacy of uh, of her father. And it's uh, it's. I, I hear we're going to see footage that we have never seen before, which is very exciting. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And, and again, just to reiterate, when this conversation airs, that event will have already happened. Um, so if you didn't get a chance to see it, sorry about that, but I can't wait to talk to you about it when you guys come back <laughs> next time. <laughs> well, um, beyond this Masterworks concert, there's going to be one more offering from the symphony before the end of the calendar year. That's going to be the Holiday Pops concert featuring Andrew Lipke. There's going to be three chances to catch this, December 9th, 10th, and 11th. That's at Fort Myers Senior High, First Presbyterian Church at Bonita Springs, and the Village Church at Shell Point in Fort Myers, respectively. Um, do you want to just tell us about that briefly? It's going to be um, organized, written, and composed, if you will, called Santa's Serenade by Andrew Lipke, and uh, he will be our guest uh, artist for that, or com conductor, composer. But the thing I wanted to say about that was that we will be at the uh, high school, Fort Myers Senior High School, in the auditorium there. For the first time in many years, we haven't been at that uh, location. And we're there for a purpose because we're honoring the musicians and the people that are artists in our community that came from Fort Myers High School. And there's a huge list of them. Maybe people don't really realize this, but Fort Myers High turned out people like Barbara B. Mann and other supporters of the arts in this area. And so in their honor, we're really pleased to go back to the venue that, that started them uh, loving their music as well. So it's going to be a December... 9th, 10th, and 11th, Correct. and uh, we're going to have uh, three performances, and I, I think it'll definitely get you in the holiday spirit. Excellent. And uh, again, going back to that spirit of accessibility, there is a student rush ticket option. Remind us what that's all Thank about, Thank you Robert. so much for letting me talk about that for two seconds. The student rush program allows anybody with a student ID to come to the concert hall one hour before the show and show their ID, and you'll get a $5 ticket. And that, believe me, is the best deal in town. Student rush, bring your student ID, come to the show. You can come this Saturday and show up at 630. We'll get you in. Yeah. Before we close out, tell me about the pre-concert lecture. I think that's so important for people to have that background context. I mean, you can enjoy it without knowing that information, but I think it just adds so much to the appreciation of it. Yes, and I absolutely I love I love doing the pre-concert lectures. It's always at six thirty p.m. exactly one hour before the concert. It it runs until around seven. Uh, PM. I would stay even longer, but I always need to, to get changed. <laughs> you have yes. other things to get ready, <laughs> for. ready for the for the concert. It's really an opportunity to dig just a little bit deeper into the music and give a lot of context. I like to have musical examples to give the listeners really something to listen to listen for. And uh, generally, the feedback has been very good. People feel that. It's really the experience of the concert. It's enhanced after listening to, to the lecture. And in in the same spirit, Robert and I have started uh, Southwest Florida Symphony's first podcast. It's called Sharp Listening, which is it's very very similar in many ways. And it's called Sharp Listening because we're trying to give the the listeners a little bit of insight into the music. So then, when they come to the concerts, uh, 
the experience is that much more. Yeah. I should point out also that this is a complimentary as well with your ticket price. So just come to the concert an hour before and Radu will be uh, – and he's being modest. Uh, some people to tell me that that's the best part of the evening is when <laughs> he gets you ready for the music. So yeah, And the bar it's... is open. There's nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Well, we've been speaking with Southwest Florida Symphony Maestro and Music Director Radu Papanyu and the Symphony's Community Outreach Ambassador Robert Van Winkle ahead of the first concert of this performance season's Master work series, and that's going to be this Saturday. The program includes much-beloved favorites from iconic American composers Aaron Copeland, George Gershwin, Leonard Bernstein, and John Williams. And the concert will feature the Marcus Roberts Jazz Trio performing with the symphony for Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. And again, that's ahead of the 100-year anniversary of that composition in 2024. The performance begins at 7.30 this Saturday. That's at the Barbara B. Mann Performing Arts Hall, and there's a pre-concert lecture again at 6.30. For more information or to secure your tickets, visit swflso.org or call the box office, 239-418-0996. Robert and Radu, always a pleasure to have you in studio and looking forward to spending Saturday evening with you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for having us. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.